At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Revealed, stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. Father, clear our minds now, open our hearts that we may delight in your word. Today, you're teaching us about justice on earth, about life eternal, about Jesus' great love for us. Father, let us soak in these truths. Spirit of God, come be our teacher. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they, he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment." But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The word of the Lord. One of the positive effects of COVID-19, and there are many negative ones, one of the positive ones is that it's confronted all of us with the immediate reality of death. Death, instead of seeming this distant foe as we often imagine it, has become a real possibility for any of us. It's one of the reasons that many of you are not in this room today, and that's okay. But I say that it's a positive effect because the reality is that we're all going to die. Don't you feel so cheered up by this sermon already? We're all going to die. That's a fact. We just don't know how or when. But what we do, because we live in the tight grip of the fear of death, is that we live in a denial of sorts. Mentally, we know we're going to die, but functionally, we live as if death is not something to worry about. And yet, COVID-19 has forced us to wake up from our dream. And as much as we like to go back to sleep, the virus is not abating. Well, the parable that we're studying today does something similar to what the virus has done in this regard, and it's making us deal with the reality of death. Death. You see, this parable focuses uh, on death in a very interesting and imaginative way because actually most of the story takes place after death. It's a dialogue after death. Almost no space in this story is given to the 80 or 90 year lifespan on earth that we overblow. 
Jesus peels the curtain, so to speak, and allows us to peek into the unseen realm. And so we're gonna walk through the parable and then apply it. Now, let's be clear as to who it is that this parable is being preached to, shared to, taught to. In chapter 16 and verse 14, it says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, if you look there with me, verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him, Jesus. So Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees, to people who loved money. And not only did they love money, do you love money? Do you dream about how you can make more and more money? Well, not only did they love money, they made fun of Jesus for his teaching on money and how we are to be generous with it and utterly detached from it. And so what does Jesus do? He does what he often did. He doubled down and told them a parable about a rich man. And so in verse 19, let's get going. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. So the first thing that we know here is that the rich man was very rich. He dressed in purple. The, co the color purple came from dye that was taken from snails. It was extremely rare and expensive. It was like caviar to cover the skin, to cover the body. Not only that, he had fine linens. He dressed in fine linens. You know, this is speaking about his undergarments. And so while there were people with no clothing or barely any, this man has expensive undergarments, brand names only for his underwear. And then it says that he feasted sumptuously every day. So it's not just that he treated himself to a couple of nice things, you know, a couple times a year. No, he lived extravagantly every day. So can you see the rich man? Can you see the luxury? Let's read on, verse 20. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So now the, the second character in the story is a poor man, and his name is Lazarus. And Lazarus is introduced to us in relation to the rich man. It says that Lazarus was at the rich man's gate. Now, the Greek word for gate here does not primarily refer to a door, as you would find in your or my house, but rather to an entryway, as you would find in temples or palaces. So the rich man lives in a mansion. And Lazarus was laid there at his gate. It seems that Lazarus was a cripple because he didn't just come to the gate. He was laid there. Perhaps his friends brought him hoping that he could get something from the rich man because that's what it says. It says that Lazarus desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. But even that he didn't get. He doesn't want much. He just wants scraps, crumbs. But not even that does he get. Instead, he gets sores. When you can't really move your body much, you're going to get sores. And so he gets these sores, these nasty sores all over his body. And now there are dogs that come and lick the sores. Now this is not, these dogs are not pets. These are not cute little dogs that come to comfort Lazarus. No, the picture is of street dogs that are feeding off of Lazarus who can't even eat from the rich man's crumbs. Do you see this? The dogs are getting from Lazarus what Lazarus can get from the rich man. Can you see the poor man? Can you feel his pain? And so these two men live in close proximity, and yet they really live worlds apart. There's only a gate separating them, but one lives in luxury, the other 
in agony. Verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Okay, so both men died. The rich man died, and I'm sure that he got an expensive coffin and tomb, a funeral service for the distinguished. But the poor man also died, but nothing is said about his burial. He was probably just thrown into a common grave for poor people and for, or for criminals. And yet I love the contrast that Jesus shows us here because both of them take their last breath and then a flurry of activity begins to um, give this final honor for the rich man in his burial. But then in this world, it's all, that's all that's happening for the rich man. But for Lazarus in this world, nothing is done to give him some final dignity. But in the unseen realm, we see the angels picking up Lazarus and carrying him to Abraham's side for comfort. And so there's just a great contrast that Jesus gives us here. You know, an angel, you remember, came to Jesus the night of his betrayal and arrest when he was in great anguish. God must keep his angels busy doing awesome things for his saints. You know, I think of my mom as she was just uh, in those last hours and we were surrounding her and she was in so much peace. Just so much peace. We have been praying. You know, we live so afraid of death. But it's so amazing because for over two years, I have been praying that she would just go with peace, with no complications, trips back and forth to the hospital, nothing. She didn't want that. We didn't want that for her. And that's exactly what happened. She was in a bed just sleeping, just like breathing and sleeping and, uh, and surrounded by those who love her. At one point, you know, she squeezed tightly my hand for like 10 minutes. I mean, like with as much strength as she always had. You know, a mother's grip, man, does not let go, right? And, um, but you see, that's, uh, you know, the, the angels come and carry the poor man. Look at verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Okay, so now the rich man is in Hades, which is the, the place for the unrighteous dead, and he is in torment. And look at the reversal that takes place here. The rich man lived in luxury on earth, but now he's in torment in Hades. The poor man lived in anguish on earth, but now he's being comforted in the presence of Abraham. And then the rich man lifts up his eyes and sees far off Abraham. He sees Abraham far off. Now, why does he see Abraham? Who is Abraham? Well, Abraham is the man that God, you recall from Genesis 12, he's the man that God called, that God chose to build the nation of Israel through whom eventually the Messiah would come. And so the audience that Jesus is speaking to, the rich Pharisees that he's speaking to, would identify with Abraham. And yet, in the story, the rich man is far off, far away from Abraham. And when he lifts up his eyes. He not only sees Abraham, but he also sees Lazarus. He sees the poor man. Now think about the irony of this. When he was alive on earth, Lazarus was right at his gate day after day, and he never saw him. And now Lazarus is far off, and he sees him quite well. And when he lifts up his eyes and sees Abraham and Lazarus, the rich man speaks. What's he going to say? 
What's he gonna say? Is he gonna say, Father Abraham, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is the first time that I'm acknowledging Lazarus, even though he begged day after day at, by my mansion, forgive me. No, of course not. That's not what he says because there's no repentance in the afterlife. You can't change in the afterlife. You can't change after you die. And so what does he say? Look at verse 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, does this blow your mind or what? Even in the afterlife, in Hades, when the rich man is in torment, he still sees himself as Lazarus superior. Do you see that? He, he thinks that Lazarus should be made to serve him. He's telling Abraham to order Lazarus around for his benefit. He says, hey, send him. Send him to dip the tip of his finger and come and cool my tongue. It's amazing. The rich man is longing like Lazarus used to long at his gate. See, when they were on earth, Lazarus just wanted scraps. He just wanted crumbs that fell from the rich man's table and he didn't get it. And now the rich man just wants the tip of the poor man's finger to touch his tongue and cool it off. And he doesn't get it. Why? Verse 25, Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So Abraham gives two reasons to the rich man why this cannot happen. First, he tells him about the great reversal. He tells him, on earth, you had your good things. Lazarus had his bad things. And now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. Now, Abraham uh, calls him child. But he's very matter of fact about this reversal that has taken place. That's the first reason. The second reason, he says, is there's a chasm. There's a great chasm between you and us. So that there is no crossing over from one end to the other. From one side to the other. Now that word there where when Abraham says between us and you. The you is plural. We don't always know that right when we see in English. Because you, singular and plural are the same. But it's plural. So the rich man is not alone in Hades. But what Abraham is saying to the rich man in essence is. You can't be comforted now. You can't receive comfort because you received it on earth and there is no bridge. There is no bridge between you and us. So now the rich man makes a different kind of appeal. So that, that door is closed. He keeps going. Verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So now the rich man is making an appeal for his five brothers. He still wants Lazarus to go and warn them. Do you see this? Again, while on earth, the rich man never saw Lazarus and now he's got all kinds of work for him. I mean, the nerve. 
And so he wants Lazarus to go and warn his brothers. Does that mean that the rich man has had a, a change of heart? Now he's become soft toward others? No. No. There is no change after you die. There's no repentance in the afterlife. I would imagine, I'm sure that the rich man loved his brothers while he was on earth, right? Love of kin. Here's the thing. Love of kin is not the deepest, most selfless type of love. You know this. Jesus assumed throughout his teaching that people loved, intrinsically loved their family. I mean, love of kin is where tribalism and jingoism and us versus them kind of thinking comes from. Jesus knew that the kind of love that is not natural to us, that takes supernatural empowerment, was love for those who can't pay us back. It was love for our enemies. And so the rich man wants Lazarus to go, but Abraham says, no, they don't need Lazarus. They don't need Lazarus. They have the prophets. They have plenty of warning. They have Moses and the prophets. But then the rich man says, no, no, Father Abraham, they will not listen to them. But if someone goes from the dead, then maybe they will listen. What he seems to be saying is, my brothers are just like me. I know them. I had Moses and the prophets, and it did nothing for me. You see, today, a lot of people talk about how there's not enough evidence for God. Right? I mean, this is the big argument that is made in the secular world today against the Christian faith. There is not enough evidence, especially in the academy there is, or in academia. There is not enough evidence. That's constantly what you hear. This lack of evidence means that something is lacking. Something is wrong externally. God has not shown us enough. He has not revealed enough. And therefore, we can be and we are excused. But what Abraham is saying is, yes, something is lacking. Something is wrong, but not externally, but internally. It's not there's not enough evidence. It's that there's something wrong within you. What Abraham is saying to him is more miracles won't do any good. They won't do any good for your brothers, for others. They're not lacking evidence. They're lacking willingness, a willingness to listen to God's word. You see, real faith obeys God's word. Real faith. Faith obeys God's word. This is an example story that Jesus uses to warn, to warn his audience and us, people who loved money, people who would have identified with the faith of Abraham. All of them would have identified with the faith of Abraham, and yet the story puts an insurmountable space between the audience and Abraham, because in this story, the rich man is not with Abraham. And so this is Jesus' way of saying to the Pharisees who loved money, you may have the look of religion, but not the essence of religion, which is true faith in my God. And so you're going to find yourself in Hades, in torment, separated from God, because you cannot love both God and money. You see, our destiny, our final destiny, is the result of our belief. Our final destiny is the result of our belief. There's a way of doing the Christian life today that emphasizes primarily its benefits for this life. If you follow Jesus, your life will be better, richer, fuller. Your life will have more purpose. It will have more peace. It will have more joy. It will also have its share of suffering. But as I walk with Christ 
longer and longer, I am more convinced of this, that when we follow Christ, truly follow him, our lives are fuller. It's his promise to us, and this is true. And yet, if only for this life, the Apostle Paul says, we have believed in God, then we are to be pitied above all other people. Yes, there are benefits when we follow Christ in this life. If you followed him for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. And yet, the ultimate blessing, the ultimate reward for the Christian is God himself. God for all eternity. God with us. God who is awesome and glorious and powerful and wise and beautiful and good and kind. That's our final ultimate reward. And like COVID-19, this story reminds us of the reality of death. That death is a real thing. You see, a lot of people see death as the end point of life. We live 80, 90 years and then that's the end. But in this story, as in the rest of the New Testament, death is the passageway to the unseen realm. Either heaven for the righteous or Hades for the unrighteous. That's what death is. It's just the entrance point into the rest of life, which is eternal, which never ends. And one of the things that becomes clear from this passage is that there is instant awareness after death. There's instant awareness after death. Think about this. Now, let me say something about when you're studying a parable. When you study a parable, you don't want to necessarily assign a every detail in the parable to a detail in the real world, right? You don't necessarily want to do that. So, for example, do angels come and carry us? Do we go to Abraham's side? Is there water over there? Do we have tongues before we receive our resurrection bodies? Will we be in physical flames? You see, I don't think that this story is meant to answer these questions for us, but this, the spiritual reality that the story depicts is made clear to us from many different texts in Scripture. Many of them. And there's an instant awareness that we have after death. I mean, think of Jesus on the cross speaking to the thief that's on the cross, right? And saying to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Then think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when he's getting stoned. And he sees Jesus standing up as if ready to receive him. And Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then we have Paul in multiple passages talk to us about the privilege of being at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, you know, we would rather be away from this tent of the body and at home with the Lord. And then one of my favorite passages, Philippians 1, where he says, my desire, I desire to depart and be with Christ because that is far better. You see, death is a welcome home, my son. A welcome home, my daughter, for those who love God. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's precious to God. It's a homecoming. It's a, it's a passage to glory for those who love God. And so will this be us? Is that us? How do you view death? You know, with my mom, it was so wonderful to be able to spend with her those uh, last few moments but our real goodbye was really on Mother's Day, you know. So she had this neurological illness that was continually just uh, taking down her abilities, all of them. So she had no affect, 
at the end, she had no speech. She barely had any motion. But on Mother's Day, we had this great talk for like 30 or 40 minutes. She was fully alert. Like toward the last few days, she couldn't even stay awake. Uh, but that back, you know, in May, she was, so she was lying down and her eyes were open and she was looking straight into the camera as I was talking to her. And, uh, and I was trying to figure out how to communicate with her because, again, she had no affect. She had no speech. Um, but I figured out that I could get her to raise her arm, raise her hand if her answer to my questions was yes. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I can have true communication with her. So I was like, mom, do you look beautiful today? And the hand would go up. You know, so nice. Mom, you know, do you love me more than my siblings? And the hand would go up. No, I didn't ask that. I didn't ask that. But it was such a wonderful wonderful time but I talked to her you know I played these songs for her that she loved she still loves them I'm sure I, I prayed over her and then I preached to her about heaven I just talked to her about what was coming for her and we rehearsed for the last two plus years Philippians 121 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain we I said that to her every single time that I talked to her she loved it she would repeat it you know, before she lost just all of her uh, faculties. And she was ready. She had been ready for a while. And I would talk to her about what was coming. But here's my question for us. How do you view death? Is it the end? You see, there's a time of reckoning coming for you and me after death. And Jesus wants us to be forewarned because once we die, our destiny is fixed and final. You can't repent in the afterlife. You can't change in the afterlife. The rich man, true to character, showed no remorse in heaven or in Hades for how callous and cold he was toward Lazarus. No awareness of God at all. In any of what he says, no awareness of a life wasted in luxury. He was self-consumed on earth and self-consumed in Hades. Please take death seriously. Take it seriously. You will have complete awareness of your eternal agony or eternal comfort the moment you take your last breath. You see, revelation has been given to us to direct us. Revelation has been given to us to direct us. I mean, this story says to us in big letters, don't be like the rich man. That's what this story says. Do not be like the rich man. What's the first thing that the rich man does in the afterlife? Did you notice? The first thing he does is he lifts up his eyes and he sees Lazarus, the one that he did not see at all when he begged by his gate on earth. And now he sees him, he sees him quite clearly. And you see, I think that this story should convict us because we so often fail to lift up our eyes and see the pain, the injustice, the suffering of the world. Our eyes are buried in our phones, in our bills, in our shows, in hours of browsing through Amazon and Pinterest looking for comfort and we fail to lift up our eyes and see the injustice done to countless Lazarus in the world who say, I can't breathe. I can't breathe because a knee is on my neck. I can't breathe because I was aborted and left to die on a cold, sterile tray. 
I can't breathe because I can't eat. I have no food. Does this do anything to us? Will this story change us? What will you do with what God has revealed? What will you do with what God has revealed? Will it cause us to lift up our eyes and see suffering? Will it change us? You see, I want us to wake up before we die. And I don't want to just appeal to the torment, to the agony that's coming to you if you're not right with God. I don't want to just do that. That's all that the rich man could think about was his agony, was his torment. He was utterly self-consumed. Even in the afterlife, I don't want to just appeal to that. I want to appeal to a life on earth not wasted. I love hearing that testimony from Daniel Park where God spoke to his heart. What about the three billion people who've never heard about Christ? Who's gonna go to them? What's God doing in your heart? What's he doing to wake us up, to get us out of our utter self-centered lives? Is he speaking to us? I mean, think of what the rich man could have done to relieve suffering. Think of what he could have done. He did nothing. You see, it's not wrong to be rich. Scripture constantly condemns how we use the resources, the the possessions that God gives to us. So it's not wrong to be rich, but I I would encourage you to think long and hard about a desire to become rich. And I would encourage you to read all that Jesus has to say about money in the Gospels and then pray and ask him, Lord, do you really want me to be rich? And be ready to hear his answer. But here's the thing. I'm talking to a room mostly of rich people. That's mostly all of us. Oh, I know we struggle. But here's the thing. The reason when we look at our finances, we constantly feel like, man, we're barely making it. Is because we're constantly upgrading our lifestyle. But God sees our lifestyle and he's not fooled. You see... Our possessions, really God's possessions, God's resources that he's given to us are meant to pass through us to the Lazarus, the countless Lazarus of the world who are destitute or far from God. Because remember, poverty comes in at least two forms, material and spiritual. And what this text should be doing for us is getting us to lift up our eyes from wherever they've been Maybe it's the news cycle, maybe it's the virus, maybe it's the politics, whatever it may be for you. And fear and worry and all the things that, that grab us. And then, you know what that does to us? We stop. We stop being about the mission of Christ. We stop lifting our eyes, first of all, and seeing our God who loves us, who is for us who has done amazing things to save us and bring peace to us. And then because we don't do that, we do not lift our eyes and see suffering and see ourselves as agents from God to go and relieve it. Whether it's the injustice of this world or it's this spiritual darkness that people live in. If we are not progressively moving in that direction with all that God has given to us, then we have no reason to think that the conversion of our hearts by the blood of Jesus Christ has taken place. If God's resources that he's given to us, material, spiritual, intellectual, relational, if all of those things die with us, then we're no different than the rich man, are we? 
let me leave you with this. Do you wonder why the poor man was named Lazarus? He's the only character in all of Jesus' stories that gets a name. The rich man doesn't get a name. Lazarus. The name humanizes him, doesn't it? The poor man may have been a nobody on earth. Nobody knew him. But God knew him. And the angels carried him. And Abraham comforted him. It's amazing. Lazarus is a contracted form of the Hebrew name Eleazar, which means God helps. God helps. If you think about it, we can see the gospel beautifully here. God helps. Jesus saw us in our helpless estate and came to our rescue. He came to save us. Just consider the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who, though he was rich, became poor for us so that we by his poverty might become rich. Do you see that? That is Christ. We are Lazarus, destitute, filled with sores, the source of sin. But Christ came for us to our rescue, to help us, to rescue us. Has he transformed your heart? Has he changed you from within? Or do you only have the look of religion, but not the essence of religion, which is true faith in God by the blood of Jesus Christ? You will know because you will be able to lift up your eyes and see suffering. And it will be your joy. It will be your joy to spend all that you have and all that you are bringing salvation and relief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Jesus, such a pointed parable for us, getting us to think about death. Most of it happens after death. You peel the curtain and allow us to see God. And so we confess that our eyes have been buried, buried with the preoccupations of our own lives, buried, Father, in things that are not eternal or, or meaningful, buried when there has been so much around us that if we only lift up our eyes and see, we could find out the mission, the purpose that you have for us in this very moment. So help us, dear God. Jesus, we thank you because you never turned a blind eye to suffering. Least of all, our suffering. You came and you rescued us. You traveled the unbridgeable chasm to rescue us. You came for us and build a bridge before we go into the unseen realm where there is no bridge. There is no bridge for this great chasm. We love you. We pray and we ask that you be with us in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.